Good morning, Dylan. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> I'm I'm super lean today because I I just got settled into Boston, so all my stuff is still technically in boxes. And oh, jeez, you're and in Boston. Like, I'm in Boston. Wicked so, smart, right? It's smart. It's wicked smart. So <laughs> it's so weird. Um, so now, like, I'm not working from home. I'm working in an office and. You know, we're doing the whole like open layout concept. You know, you know, everybody's on like one big floor kind of a thing. So like, I can't record like podcasts in there. So I'm doing it in like the conference room. Um, so I can't have like a mounted mic. So I got to figure out that kind of solution, which is uh, a little difficult, but you know, not the end of the world. Is there is there space where you can uh, set up a little mini recording studio? I could theoretically mount the boom arm to the conference room table. That's just That's an option. The, the place. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I could theoretically do that, and I might. I'm I'm not throwing that off the table right now. Um, you're just, no, you're mounting it to the table. Yeah, right. We we just don't have a conference room table yet. So, you know, TBD. We we got to order a bunch of stuff. Um, it's kind of been slow getting moved in, just because it's hard to do a lot of stuff when you're kind of in the personal transition. But now that we're all actually here we're moving way faster on, on a lot of stuff, which is kind of nice. So all three of you are there in the office now? Yeah. Yep. All three. We, we do have a fourth employee. He's more part-time. Um, yeah, but, but he's, he's remote. So he, he's still in Florida. Um, but yeah, pretty much people that are in like day to day, so to speak, um, are here, here in Boston. And then we're immediately shifting gears into hiring. Hmm. Nice. I've seen, I saw, I saw the picture. It's a pretty pretty slick little setup you got there. That's yeah, neat. it's uh, it's not bad. The negotiating commercial real estate in Boston aspect was not fun um, <laughs> because we had to do it remote. I mean, we're doing we're doing our initial surveying and research during the peak of COVID, so we can't actually go see a lot of the places in person. So we're looking at pictures, we're getting video walkthroughs, which only tells you so much. Like I had to do that with my actual like home. Um, you know, I'm not, I couldn't just fly up here for like a handful of days to look at places. So I had to get, you know, videos and just be like, you know what, that looks great. It's in a nice area done, uh, which luckily worked out. <laughs> uh, but this place worked out too. You know, it was, um, it was a lot of negotiating. It was a lot of, a lot of back and forth. We almost lost the deal at one point. Um, luckily we were able to save it, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult, not difficult, but it's different going from a remote company to an in-person company, like the cost structures obviously are vastly different. Um, you know, the cost of, you know, hiring a new employee goes up because, you know, if you're typically working remote, you already have a desk. I don't need to buy you one, but here it's like, no, man, it's, it's, it's laptop. It's all of these things, um, which is good. You know, I don't, I don't want to say that as it's a negative, it's just different. And I think something, you know, we talked about, you know, kind of early on in our process of making this move, is should you be remote or should you be co-located? And I've come to the conclusion it's subjective. It depends. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a good answer. <laughs> yeah. But, well, because it's – listen, you, you can't say – I'm sorry, but you cannot definitively say remote is better. You cannot definitively say co-location is better. It depends on what you're doing, right? So where we are as a software company is – you know, yeah, we could keep growing. We're, we're at a decent level in terms of revenue. Like we're doing well. We continue to grow. Um, and we have, you know, we haven't really started to optimize a lot of things like marketing and onboarding yet. Um, cause we're waiting on these two new hires, but 
we, we could absolutely do that remotely. There's, there's no doubt in my mind, would we move slower? I would say yes for what we want to do. Now, if we just want to keep on the same trajectory that we're on, not a problem. It's really not. But what we're looking to really do is, is triple down, right? I think it's too easy to be like, oh, you have a seven-figure business and like it's fine, blah, 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 like be happy. There's nothing wrong with that. But what we are optimizing for is how do we do you know 10 million in ARR, so annual recurring revenue a year? And how do we do that in the next like two to three years? Right, so we're looking more at like, a theoretical exponential growth pattern, not linear, which we've been. We've been growing linearly. Um, but it's different when you're going through a rebuild, right? You're rebuilding an entire system to have brand new engineers, you know, doing system architecture design over Zoom. It's not the same thing as, as jumping into a, a conference room with tons of whiteboards and just going ham on design and then having, you know, good conversations. Um, so again, it's, it's not right. It's not wrong. It's just different. And what we want to optimize for is not necessarily lifestyle, um, which, you know, traditionally I've been the lifestyle guy, not in terms of like, you know, I have a bunch of EAs run my businesses and like, I do nothing all day. It's like, no, like I work my butt off, but this is different. I'm not looking for, you know, a, a, I'm not looking for work-life balance right now. I'm looking to triple down and it's, and that's different. That That's why you know, where we decided to make this move, uh, which listen, it's a, it's a 10 year decision, right? It's not just something you decide to do. I'm like, yep, sounds good. Like, you know, <laughs> let's go get an office and move our entire lives to Boston. Um, that's a very strategic, very strategic decision. Um, and to be frank, our competition and a lot of software companies in the Amazon space, which we're in, do not operate this way. They're typically remote. They're typically outsourced. They're typically, you know, they, their, their CTO is really a coder, not an actual engineer. Um, yeah, right. And, and listen, I've talked to a lot of these companies. Um, and that's what, that's how they operate. And you don't realize how duct taped they really are. And so we don't want to be that. We want to be the gold standard. And, and if you want to become the gold standard in an industry, you have to operate different than the average competitor. And a lot of people don't want to make those decisions. A lot of people are like, well, you know, my lifestyle in Florida is way better and cheaper than it's going to be in Boston. Well, yeah, but what do you want? <laughs> like, are you optimizing for lifestyle or are you optimizing for the value of your equity in the next like 10 years? You know? Yeah. To that, to that immediate comment about, you know, lifestyle being cheaper in, in Florida, you, you know, I, I often say there's a reason for that, right? Like there's, it just, it's convenient that it's cheaper, but there's also a, generally a really good reason for it. Like living here in the Pacific Northwest in the Seattle area, we are the, if not close to the most expensive real estate market, I would say probably top three, depending on how you're measuring it right behind San Francisco and New York. So I, I, I get what wanting to live a cheaper life. I, I get that feeling, right? I, I think about it every, <laughs> every damn day of the week, but at the same time, I also know I would be already being in the, I don't want to call it more expensive because that's not quite, that, that doesn't explain it clearly, but going to a less expensive market, I'm going to be giving, giving up something, right? Like here, you know, convenience is a really big deal. Things are, you know, the entire Seattle metro area is probably 50 miles. 
and there's just a ton of stuff everywhere, right? Because that's like half the state's population yeah. is within that 50-mile range. <laughs> right, right, right. Whereas if if we look at a place like, you know, Texas is a big one, right, in the, in the tech scene, right? Austin, especially the North Carolina, right, the research triangle. Like, those are nice places too, but you're going to be trading things for that. So thinking about it from the reverse, what what new things are you gaining by moving to a more expensive area like if that's if if there are things that you can you can gain by moving there then the fact that it's more expensive is just it's just a number more or less right like if you're moving from omaha to new york city right yeah that's going to be a culture shock but moving to new york city depending on what field you work in right that the opportunity level is going to be way higher there are going to be a lot of things you don't need to spend money on anymore, right? Especially if you live in Omaha, you're driving 100 miles to go anywhere practically, right? Whereas in New York, you know, there's something on every corner, more or less. I, I've never been to New York, so I could be totally exaggerating, but I think that my point is is sound here. And it, it, it just depends on, and again, it comes back to like, what are you optimizing for, right? So um, I think it's, I think this happens far too frequently where people are are, are getting momentum with their business and they're growing, but they're not growing as fast as they want to be. And let's say you're in fintech, right? You doing fintech in Florida is it guarantees a different outcome than you doing fintech in New York, for sure, or Chicago, just, or something or Chicago, like that. right? Like when you when you're looking at hubs of a specific type of technology subject matter, the opportunities open themselves up more. Right. And so like us being in the Amazon space, it's not like we need to be closer to Amazon sellers. Like that's a purely online community. But with that said, what's our biggest bottleneck? It's, it's finding amazing engineers, right? Like, you know, this as well as I do, like there's a ton of engineers, but to find amazing ones, you know, it's different. Like your resume can look, look as pretty as, as, as you want it to. But the moment I throw you an algorithmic, you know, um, technical problem and you can't solve it, that's different. And so we made the decision that, okay, well, San Francisco's, we can't compete. We're bootstrapped. We'd have to raise $10 million to go compete for salaries and all that stuff in SF. And heck, we're, we're going to have to pay ourselves a ton of money just to live, you know? But Boston's different, right? Boston's the next tech hub there, but it's far less expensive. Now, it's still expensive, but it's less expensive than SF. And so because of that, there's MIT here. There's Harvard. So for me to be able to pull somebody directly out of college who's actually very talented is much easier to do. Or from other companies that are also here, right? You have Twitter, you have you have Uber, you have a few other companies that have, you know, this may not be their HQ, but they have a campus here. And a lot of people that work for Fang, so Facebook, um, I forget all the Netflix and uh, what, what is, what's, what's A and Fang? I always forget. The which thing? So Fang, so the acronym, oh, it's Facebook, uh, Facebook, Amazon, Amazon Apple, Netflix, Duh, of Google. Course. Of course, I forget freaking Amazon. Um, that's great. But, you know, a lot of people that get into that go, okay, yeah, it's great. But like, I'm not really having the impact that I want to. I'm not working on as exciting projects. They're starting to consider moving, getting paid less, but working on a startup, right? Because that trade-off is, hey, you get a little bit more equity, you know, so... We're, we're banking on that a bit, um, but it does depend, right? Like if you're, if you're just running a, a private label Amazon brand, really you can live anywhere, right? Like be, because it's different. Like, and we were talking about this the, the other day, me and, me and James is like, there's a difference in building a business and building a company. 
they are, in my opinion, fundamentally different. A business is a cash flow play, right? It's how much money can I make month over month. Building a company is is different in the sense that you are building something that exists outside of yourself. It should become its own living organism, right? Um, Apple, if you took the head person out, can still exist. Um, your Amazon business, if you leave, even with a handful of employees, it's not going to last. <laughs> and so you have to make different decisions to be able to get to that place, right? Um, yeah, you still need leadership. You still need somebody steering the boat, of course. Um, but what's great is it doesn't have to be you. And so we're at a point where, you know, now that now that college is done and all that stuff, way more free time. It's like, great, what do we actually want to build? Right? Do we want to build a business and we just have great lifestyles? Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But we're all in our 20s. I'm the oldest one, which is funny. Right? So I'm 28. Our youngest employee is 21. And we're like, do we want to do that? Or do we want to go have a massive impact? Do we actually want to build something like worth bragging about? Not in terms of like, look how much money I make, but in terms of like, look what we built. Look what we accomplished. Because at any point in your life, you can start a, a cash flow business. Any point. 60, 70, 90, doesn't matter. But to build a company, you know, that in the way that we want to, it's more daunting. It's a larger mountain to climb. And so if we're going to do that, we might as well do it now. So hence the the tripling down on what we're doing. Um, and we're shifting up a little bit, which is kind of cool. So there's going to be like a lot of changes in terms of, you know, what the software is itself, uh, which I'm very excited about, but it, it's different. It's a different skill set. It's daunting. It's it's more risk. It's, you know, I'm going to be responsible for more employees' salaries, their livelihoods. Um, I'm, I'm responsible for a very expensive commercial office space now <laughs> for the next at least three years. Um, so it's, you know, I, I think a lot of people get to to right before that point of making that decision and then they end up pulling back for whatever reason. If, you know, they may just not want to get into that next level. They may not want to take that next kind of risk or they're just happy where they are. And there's, again, there's nothing wrong with starting a business and not taking it to that company kind of level. Um, but when you understand it, I'm a huge fan of reverse engineering. What do you want? Reverse engineer that. I want a company that does $10 million a year, period. Like sustainably recurring revenue. <laughs> Therefore, this is the business model and this is what we're going to do. Versus I just want to make five grand a month. Completely different. So us not being remote enables us, in my opinion, to move more quickly. So I could pretty effectively argue with example for remote allowing for that 10 million ARR to sure. But, and I, I can only say that because I've, you know, I've, I've, I've lived it. Right. Right. Uh, a little background. If you haven't listened to earlier episodes, I've worked remote full time for four and a half years, just about um, all software companies. And one company I worked uh, for, for three years, actually to the day, um, we were 12 people in total and did close to 10 million a year by the time I left. We didn't have a single office. I think the, the registered business address was here in Seattle and it was like a UPS store. PO nice. box. <laughs> right. Right. 
um, just like there was literally no space, not even yeah. if you wanted there to be. And yeah. it works, but at the same time, it has to be a deliberate decision, right? And that was from the, you know, from the very early days, the founders, one who lived in you know, one, one end of the city, one who lived on the other, you know, I'm, I'm using hand wavy motions, but, you know, we're talking maybe like 30-ish mile gap between the two. Um, I'm sure they met on occasion, but they built, they, they built the entire thing with this remote idea in mind first. And I think that's what allowed them to be successful was because that was the choice that they made. That was the, you know, they, from early on, it wasn't, oh, we'll, we'll try out this remote thing and see what happens. And then we'll go to an office space and see what happens. And then we'll go back and see what happens. Right. Like, like how you have deliberately chosen, we are working in an office. This is how our team's going to work together we had that same choice. We are all remote. This is how our team's going to work together. We're going to build our tools and our, our processes, how we meet, how we discuss things, all of that's going to be built around that concept. Right. And I think that's the only way, the only way that you can really be successful in a remote first work environment is if you built the entire company around that concept. Right. And that's the hard part because keep in mind, you know, the, the biggest context here is that we're not just taking the current product and expanding upon it. We're doing a full rebuild, right? So when you're building, you know, a first version of a tool being remote, I think it's completely fine, right? Because you're going to make some assumptions that are going to be simplistic by the, by design. Um, however, when you see when, where something's at, at a, at a point in time and say, okay, we have to like strip this thing down, you know, first principles, we have to do a huge migration of user data. Like there's a lot more risk involved too, in my opinion. Um, and this could be just naivety and lack of experience on my end, which it most likely is, but you know, it's, it's different. You know, my thing is, you know, when you look at a lot of companies that are doing, let's say 10 million plus in the remote, most of them did not start that way. They started with a with a handful of core team members building that initial product, and then they they're like, "Cool, we have the SOPs of how we work. Let's take this remote." Now you're just expanding the current product, right? So it's it's a little bit different because you already have the culture, you already have the team, that core function team. Um, whereas with us, it's slightly different. So we're almost kind of like we started bootstrap, we started you know um, remote. We didn't think it was going to get this big, anyways. You know, just like, hey, let's do it. Like, this would be fun to do. And it's starting to take off or has been taking off. And now it's like, okay, well, we're kind of doing, you know, we're doing that first phase just second, if that makes sense. Like, the sequence is just different. Because there's there's no telling. I mean, we, we could in three years be like, yeah, you know, we got things on point. We actually want to go remote now. We could, right? There's no reason that we couldn't. Um, but listen, we, we also, we spent a lot of time you know, trying to hire remote engineers. And that's not easy. That is difficult, man. That is, I'm talking like painfully difficult um, because you have people that work in Fang or they have the golden handcuffs, right? And and you're like, they knew you were a bootstrap company and they knew that you were going to be remote and they're such a perfect fit, both technically and culturally. And they want 300 grand a year, base salary. And you're like, dude, like you make 400 grand a year as an employee. That's insane. Like, I'm happy for you, but like, I'm not paying you that. <laughs> like, there's no way, you know? So that's frustrating. And then you just get people that they're great coders. But when it comes to actual engineer work, 
they lack, man. And, and it's tough. I mean, you're, you're interviewing people from Carnegie Mellon. You're, you know, you're in, interviewing people from MIT and you're like, dude, you're awesome. But like, you couldn't pass the three technical interview questions slash problem sets that we have. That's a hard pass. And then, you know, you, you start to consider the opportunity cost of time. And you're like, well, we know what kind of culture we want to build. We know the type of team we want to build. Would it increase the probability of us finding that kind of person if we became co-located, moved into a better central hub kind of a thing, right? So it, it, it's a hedge. It's, it's certainly, it's a, high, it's a very expensive hypothesis, but I think it's going to play out from, from everything that I've seen. Um, you know, luckily we have a small network here on the technical side um, that we can tap into, right? So that, that alone might help us hire an amazing engineer and that becomes our biggest growth lever that we're able to pull. And we go from seven to eight figures relatively fast. I don't know. It could not be the case, right? I could be completely wrong. But yeah. And it's, I think if nothing else, it's good that you have that mindset, right? That you are, you're still at the point where you're not entirely jaded by remote employees. And no, yeah, been I, in, I love in, remote. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? I love yeah, 100%. it. Yeah, 100%. It's, um, I haven't commuted in four and a half years. It's beautiful to <laughs> think about all the money I've saved on gas. Um, yeah, right, right. It, it's good that you, you still have that open mind because, you know, if, if that one happens to come along, you're not going to turn them down if that, if it's, or would you? I think right now we would. I think right now we actually would. Um, only because, you know, we we're we're paying however much we are per month, you know, thousands upon thousands of dollars per month for this space we we have to utilize it um now if the team's large enough and that person is literally just amazing that might be different but to have the core engineering slash product team in-house um or under one roof so to speak way more important to me right now um now i'm still of the opinion you find amazing people period and you just hire them i i am of that opinion um but it's not always that easy you know what i mean because then you have people who are in office who go, oh, but that person's remote. Can I also be remote? And then you're like, well, at that point, it defeats the purpose of co-locating here. Um, so you have to kind of be weary there, I would say, at least early on, right? Like once the team gets like 10 plus people, that might change. That could be a different thing because we wanted it to be flexible. Um, so so that could absolutely, absolutely change. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not jaded by remote teams. I think remote teams work incredibly well. I think it's they are not where very, you're at right now. Right. I think it's very efficient. I like asynchronous communication. I do. I, I don't like having to jump on meetings and calls. Like, no, slack me. <laughs> right. Like, like I want to work when I want to work, but I can say being here at least about four days full working, we have gotten a lot done as a team, not just individual productivity, but like, you know, we're, we're making a lot of design decisions, a lot of high level decisions too, about like, what is the product moving forward? Cause that may change. And being in person to have those off-the-cuff discussions is beneficial. Yeah, I'm trying to think about <clears throat> my my past experience, you know, being in a small team and but being remote. Like, you know, to to give an example of how remote we were, uh, myself and two other individuals were here in the Seattle area. One uh, one was the founder and just happened to be in the both in the same area. One moved to Seattle from somewhere else. Um, we had one in West Virginia, uh, a couple in Portland. Uh, we had one in uh, outside of London for a while and one in Costa Rica, right? And then a few scattered around California and Colorado and 
you know, things like that, right? So we were we were the definition of spread out, right? And I'm thinking, you know, you're you're using examples of, you know, like making design decisions and planning and things like that. And I there were there were quite a few times, at least in my past experience, where if if one of us had an idea and it wasn't totally batshit crazy, it was only mildly so, we would just do it. Right? Like it wasn't because we the product was such that you know you can't you can't just make changes without somebody else's approval, right? Sure, yeah, and, yeah, version you know, control, is, and all that, is, yeah, right, exactly. And if there was something like say that was actually impacting the user experience, right? And in the moment you happen to see a way to fix it, kind of on the spot or with rel- relatively minimal effort, right? You don't need to have a big meeting about it, right? It's not changing the fundamental nature of the app right you just kind of did it right so a lot of those small things were never there were never any meetings around them because that just wasn't the way things operated so i think ultimately what what this sounds like it comes down to and correct me if i'm wrong is that um the 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 co-located in-office nature is based on how you want to go about designing V2 of Aura and whatever the next products are. Like you, you've made very intentional decisions. This is how we're going to go about doing this. This is how we're going to go about doing that. Right. It's not just that I like an office. Let's go sit in an no, office. No, everybody, no, yeah. you know, like yeah. you've, you've decided as a group, this is how we function best together. And I would argue some of that has to do with the people itself, right? Some people just function better in groups, right? Some people function better by themselves in their own office, you know, take yours truly, for example. and you've embraced that right yeah and I, right. I absolutely don't think there's anything wrong with that at all like as long as you go all in on it then i think you're going to be successful regardless and it comes down to communication like as a team right because I, I agree listen i work better when i'm in the zone and alone because I'm, I'm a i'm i'm introverted but i'm also personable so like i want to talk to people um so i do work better alone but i've noticed you know in the past few days i i had this like innate accountability right where like where i would potentially slack off for an hour now i'm not right so i actually am getting more work done but it but again it comes down mainly to having a higher amount of exposure to amazing engineers because here's where a lot of people get confused um and and you know this because you're in tech but a lot of people who don't understand tech or like they're trying to get into software they think somebody who codes is all they need and that's not the case like just because you can code does not mean that you understand the fundamentals of engineering like software engineering and so yeah, we could absolutely hire amazing coders remotely. It's not a problem. The problem is finding amazing engineers. I want engineers. <laughs> I don't want a 10-person junior-level coding team. I want somebody who understands the fundamentals of software engineering. I want you to understand architecture. I want you to understand algorithms. Because actually what we do is very complex. You know, So a lot of people, when they think of software, they think of CRUD, Right. So a CRUD app is a very basic application, right? It takes data, messes with it, and pushes it back to you. What we do is more algorithmic facing, and it's more complex, right? So for me to just hire an engineer is like, eh, sure. But like, or I'm, I'm sorry, to hire a coder is like, yeah, sure, you can write the code. But like, I need somebody who can design architecture. I need you to understand how systems work. I need you to understand, you know, we're working with like t- like tons of data. I'm talking like, tons of data <laughs> you know it's not just basic data points we're, we're taking and we're actually processing over twenty thousand price changes per minute right now 
that's just price changes. That does not include the the five to seven x that number data points we are receiving, and have to sift through, you know, sort through like that. That's a, actually a complex problem, right? I mean, you know, we're you know, and, and we want to factor in like machine learning a little bit more, and like there's, there's a lot we can do here, even in just basic game theory stuff we want to implement, right? And so we want to build this very robust system. Um, and that's different than building a CRUD app, like a basic web app, right? And so a lot of people get that confused. They're like, just, it's not hard to hire developers. I'm like, okay, but I'm not hiring developers. <laughs> I am hiring engineers. And I'm sorry, but, and, and this speaks to a beautiful opportunity. It is hard to find amazing, talented, smart engineers. Just because you went to, you know, the CS program does not make you an amazing engineer. Um, and it's hard for a lot of people, right? You can be, you can write beautiful code, but the moment I throw you an algorithmic problem, everything changes. And it's hard for a lot of people to understand that. It's hard for a lot of people to understand those differences. And and a lot of people that I've spoken to are like, you know, I think it's stupid what you're doing here. I'm like, hey, I totally understand, but I don't think you have enough context. And listen, I could be wrong. Keep that in mind. I could absolutely be wrong. It's a decision that we made as founders as to this is what we want to do. This is what we think will have the largest impact on us as a company and have the highest value add to our users, period. Because um, listen, we spent three months trying to hire remote engineers. We spent countless hours interviewing. And when I say I was unimpressed as a non-technical person, I was unimpressed. It was it was a problem. I mean, I'm, we're, I can have a basic level conversation. Me and you have done this after the show about microservices architecture and like stuff like that. And and some of these people, it just goes over their head. I'm like, dude, I'm not even a, a developer. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And, and we can have these conversations. So it's, it's one of the biggest bottleneck, but it's, you know, in parallel, the biggest opportunity, right? So what we're doing is probability stacking, right? So if, if we can increase the probability of us finding amazing engineers sooner, we start to hit our goals and our users' goals more quickly. And that's the lens through which I'm making this very expensive, very tough decision. I mean, keep in mind, I, I moved my entire life from Florida to Boston, and my girlfriend could not come with me, right? Right. And, and so, you know, to a certain degree, though, having that level as a founder, having that level of commitment and overhead makes you make some tougher decisions. You can't get relaxed. Listen, it's very easy to run a seven-figure business as a founder working remotely and be like, you know what? I think I do want a new car. I think I do want to start spending four hours a day practicing the ukulele, right? Like you get a little chill. You get a little relaxed versus, yo, dude, this costs us 80 grand a year. We got to grow. We don't have a choice here. Good. It's it's lighting a fire under your butt. Um, in my opinion, you know, is positive. Like I, I think it is a positive thing. It, it's it's certainly a stressor, but it's a you stress. It's not stressful. It's you stress. Um, and a lot of people negate that. A lot of founders don't want to be stressed out. They think that well, I'm the founder and I started this company, so my life should be perfect. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that if you're starting a lifestyle business. But if you are if you are trying to build a company that has 10 million plus a year recurring. So that you could maybe sell it for fifty to sixty million, you know, five to six x multiple, in in three to five years, whatever. That's different, and you have to. You cannot operate a company that wants that goal 
as a lifestyle business. It doesn't work that way. And so a lot of people just, that's not what they want. A lot of people don't want to go that route. And the, again, there's nothing wrong with it, but you can never, you can never downplay somebody for wanting to triple down on what they're building. Cause at that point, now you're negating their, their self-fulfillment. You're negating their reason in their mind for living, right? Like this is, you know, at this point, listen, we're talking legacy. We're talking accomplishment, self-fulfillment. We're not talking about money right now. We're not talking about like a huge windfall yet. Like, yeah, exit and all that jazz. That's cool. It's more, look what we did. It's, it's climbing the mountain, getting, getting to the peak and looking back. That's different than, you know, your business makes, you know, a million dollars a year in revenue. You take on, you know, 250, 300 grand a year as the founder. And like, you're just happy again, nothing wrong with it, but they are fundamentally different. And I, I think I can use you know the, the the current company that I work for as an example of the the other side of this this scale right where um, you know when it was founded in oh, uh, 2010 ish if I'm getting my history correctly like it it started in an office right it started in San Francisco there was a there was a floor of a building and oh, maybe not a floor in the early days but right. you know, it became a floor in a building and you know it grew that way and then afterwards it expanded outwards in a remote fashion, right? It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily remote first, but at the same time, they realized that we, if we, we can target other markets of talent, if we go remote as well, like we have enough people here, adding more here may not necessarily gain us anything that adding somebody from, you know, Maine, isn't going to gain us. You know what I mean? And I think that's, that's, that's the big threshold there, right? Like if, if you find yourself in a position where, you know, you have an office full of people, you know, what do you do? Do you get a second office or do you re revisit the remote work arrangement? Right. Well, and I think it depends on the sequence, right? It depends on where you are in the business life cycle. So a lot of people don't understand this because they're starting a business, which is different. If you're starting a cash flow business, that is straightforward. What you're not looking for is product market fit. You go, I buy this thing and I sell it and I have a margin. Straightforward. I don't care where your people are. I really don't. But when you are trying to find product market fit, and I don't truly believe that we are there. Certainly we have a seven-figure revenue, like recurring, like we're doing great. But that's, again, seven figures versus eight figures, a vastly different ballgame. Um, when you are trying to run tests, when you are trying to still figure it out, being in person helps. It does. Um, but, but you know, that's why I, I keep saying, you know, companies start in an office. Maybe it's small like ours. You know, ours is only like 1,300 square foot. They get product market fit. Everything is figured out. SOPs are on point. They're like, we are just growing. We know what we're doing here. Great. Go remote. Because now it doesn't matter. Now, it, now it's different, right? Now the conversations are, are shifting. You don't have to spend four hours in a conference room trying to decide on one thing. Right. But we do. We do right now. We I mean, we were talking this week. Where do we see this going in the next 10 years? It's not just going to be repricing. It's going to be something different. Like it's still going to be repricing, but it's not going to be the stereotypical repricing tool. Um, well, OK, that's a lot of decisions. And to be honest, I don't want to sit on a Zoom call for four hours trying to figure that shit out. You know what I mean? Like, let's order some pizza and let's figure it out. And I think looking looking back at my previous example of you know, a company that started remote first, like it had that market fit. Like there was 
there was a hole in the market right very early on like there was no there was never a point where i don't know is this gonna work well i don't know maybe i guess we could try and see what happens (laughs) right you know like there was you know this was 2007 2008 like you know if you'd if if anyone has been paying attention to how tech has evolved since then, like it's 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 literally a generation or two, right? Two thousand eight tech was massively different, right? So to get so there was a kind of a unique opportunity there in that there wasn't there really wasn't a whole lot of competition. There wasn't you know nothing was well formed, well thought out, right? So it was pretty easy to slot in and have an instant market fit, right? So. I can see, like, you know, looking looking at the business I'm creating, for example, like, I have no incentive to actually have a retail space or a commercial space, right? Like, I, there would be no benefit from it, right? Because I'm I'm buying a thing and I'm selling a thing, right? Now, if if there comes a point where I I I can measure the potential like retail foot traffic, okay, then that's you know that's one thing, right? That's I think that's different than a commercial office space where you just do the majority of work, right? Like a retail storefront is an, an additional conveyance of that, buy that thing, sell that thing. Yep. Not it's a sales channel, you don't, which, you which don't has really, to have that ROI. Right. 100%. Right. You don't, you don't bring in all of your staff into the retail space and figure out how to build the business there. Right. Like that's, that's the end point, right? That is where everything is already made and ready to go. So I think that's, you know, wanted to draw that line out because every day when we when I walk by the building next door that has a bunch of empty retail space, I'm like, maybe, maybe someday. <laughs> I wouldn't, sure, you know, sure. I wouldn't, you know, I, I I know roughly how much the spaces next door are going for it. It's a little pricey, but it's all again, it's Seattle. Like, why I'm can't be <laughs> right. surprised. But yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, if you know, if the opportunity presented itself, I wouldn't turn it down necessarily. Like, sure. I would have to think about it, right? Because yeah, you know that would require a big shift. Quick. Sure. But, you know, it's it's different than looking for an actual office that you can't really do. You can you do business in, but you don't do business out of. Yeah, that's a good point. Right. I mean, you know, again, we got to where we are in terms of revenue with basically two of us in the day to day for the large majority of the time remotely. Like me and James, my co-founder, had met once in person. Right. Like so. So, yeah, it's. It's not to say that it doesn't work. It's not to say that, like, you know, do we have product market fit with repricing by itself? Yes, we do. Based off every measure of, of you know, a metric we, we have. But what we don't want to do is just be another player in that market. Now it's saying, okay, we have traction. We can self-fund. We're good. What is that next thing, right? What's that zero to one move? What's that innovative thing that has not happened that using first principles should exist? Right. What are the inefficiencies? Right. And that's where we get to be creative and have fun and be innovative. And that that there is why it makes sense for us to go co-location. Because, yeah, I'm, again, if we're just trying to add features and, and fix bugs in, in the current system, yeah, I would probably be able to hire one of the, the 30 plus people we interviewed easily. Do you think if if in the scenario where Aura was a tool that wasn't uh let's just say solely reliant on Amazon's generosity to exist. If it was more self-sustaining, had more an independent position that it didn't rely on anybody else. And let's say it will make this scenario more specific. It already had, you know, a market fit to some degree. Would your position on, on all this be different? Like is, could you see yourself just staying remote at that point? Because you oh, have yeah, yeah. something that's right. Cause now you have the structure, you have the foundational structure. 
right? And, and again, I think that's the difference there is I'm not saying we're never going to be a remote, again, company. We could be. In three years, we absolutely could be. Um, but for the stage we are in now, it, it does not make sense. But, but I agree, you know, we, and that's stuff that we're considering is like we have what's called platform risk, right? So Amazon just decides they hate us, cuts off our API access, and we don't have a company now. So part of this rebuild is how do we go multi-channel? How do we diversify our risk portfolio, right? Um, that's something to keep in mind because if you ever do want to exit, you're going to get a, a discount on your multiple for, for that risk. Um, so we're looking at that, right? It's like, cool, now we have this massive asset. Now we need to look at protecting it, right? And allowing it to keep growing. And we're looking at other marketplaces and other audiences to serve because it's not that we don't like Amazon sellers because that's you know what we target that's what we know but we're realizing there's more people that we can add value to right so that's what we want to do and that's where it's like again it, it's not this like it's not just a rebuild like fix bugs and like release a few new features no it's like to a certain degree fundamentally different like as a system the 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 architecture of this system is going to be completely different for a reason and so to go through such a large complex project being in person makes that way easier, <laughs> way, way easier. Um, you know, cause again, you can have, have people just run up to, you know, you get a problem, you jump on the whiteboards and solve it real quick. Right. Or heck you just go for a walk together and like, Hey, what's going on? Like I've been kind of stuck here. Like, cool. Have you thought about that? You know, like you can't have, you really can't have those interactions. The interactions when you're remote are more formal. Although people like to think they're not cause, Oh, it's on zoom. That's still a formal conversation. You were saying, Hey, can I call you for this reason? Um, and that's your only perspective. That's your only view is that box versus, yo, hey, dude, let's go grab lunch real quick. Let's go. Let's figure this thing out. You get to have those interactions. And it's different when you're building a team because a lot of people, especially, you know, in the Amazon software space, they just outsource everything. And again, I'm not against outsourcing, but when it is a pillar through which your business exists upon, don't outsource it. Right. We, we are a software for me to outsource the very fundamental thing through which allows us to exist is a detrimental decision versus building a team, building a culture that people love and want to come work on. That's going to show in your product because VAs don't care about your users. VAs don't care about, and, I'm, and by the way, when I say VA, cause I want to make this clear, I'm not saying an internal team member who lives in the Philippines. That's an employee. I'm saying a VA in the sense of you just pay them hourly and they're not actually in your culture full-time. If they are a full-time employee, they're an employee. They just happen to live in the Philippines and them living in the Philippines does not make them a VA, right? It's, it's fundamentally different. Like if I'm paying an engineer 10, 20 bucks an hour because they live in the Philippines, that's different. Um, so, you know, to be able to be in person, to build that culture, to build that team, you have synergies that work really well. You know, we, we talked at one point offline about like, we want to start having hackathons here. Like, you know, just have like our tech friends come in on a weekend. Be like, yo, let's just build something. All right. Like that's fun, man. Like it's, it makes the environment through which you build a, a utopia. Like we want to build a nerdy utopia. <laughs> like, dude, whatever you're into, be into it here. Like if, if you have a cool Chrome extension idea you want to build that solves your own problem. Dude, come over on the weekends and like, let's do that. It's hard to have a remote based hackathon. Like you can do it, but like nobody wants to do that, right? Like it's less cool. Um, and you get the, the added benefit of being 
kind of a player in the community at yeah, that point, right? 100%. Like especially if you know if you want to ensure that those who are maybe underserved or don't have access to a lot of the same resources and technology and materials that others do, you know, you want to give them an equal opportunity to come and build something really neat, right? And maybe it's so impressive that you know you want to get them. out of college, right? Sure. It, exactly, exactly. And, and, and here's something to keep in mind too. Um, yes, that theoretically then becomes part of your recruitment process, but whenever whenever people are looking at jobs as an employee that are remote, yeah, they're looking at the system they're going to work on, but they're mainly just looking at the variables. Where are you going to pay me? What are the hours? Blah, blah, blah. That's it. And I'm sorry to say this, but jobs are not just how much you get paid and the flexibility and the time off. It's the team you're on. It's what you're working on. And if you view jobs that you're looking for just for the bland variables, and listen, money is important. Don't get me wrong. But if you're just viewing that and not the team, not the people you're going to be working on, you're missing a large variable. So to have people come in and just hang out with us, they'd be like, this is pretty cool. Like, like what you guys are working on is really interesting now that I understand it. Like I've just been coming to hang out with you guys on like weekends I like the way you guys work. I like the way you guys interact as a team. I want to be a part of this team. I don't care what we work on. I just want to be here. That's culture. They're not building that remotely. Can you have culture as a remote company? Of course you can, but it has to be formalized. That's why you see people in like Slack channels be like, oh yeah, we randomly put one employee with another one. They have 30 minute random conversation about hot dogs. Dude, that's not culture. I'm sorry. Like you're meeting somebody and that's great, but that is not the same thing as being in person, shaking hands, hanging out, and having conversations. That is so different. The the 30 minutes, you know, Slack video chat or Zoom chat you have with a random other employee is an introduction and it's synthetic. It, it's completely different. It's completely different when you're in an office space and and you notice somebody's keychain has a TARDIS on it and you're like, yo, do you like Doctor Who? And like now you're now you're on that same level together, right? Now you're geeking out. Now you have inside jokes. Now you're having conversations that other people don't understand. You could not see that kind of stuff or, or experience that level of culture and relationship if if you were remote. It's just it, it it's just different, in my opinion. I, again, I could be wrong. I could be completely naive, um, but just from what I've seen, it's different, man. It, it's it's so different, and that's fair. I think, and I can use. I can use my 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 current uh, working arrangement as an example of uh, both the good and the bad. Like both what you're what you're like re- reaffirmation of what you're saying, as well as you know there are some there are ways and to make it work. But I think it, the biggest the biggest thing is it, it comes down to the people that are actually working there, right? Like there's there comes a point um, where you know you are looking for something that's more consistent and safe shall we say right like that's you know at every point in someone's career most people's career rather you know you're you're you're, you're gonna stop looking at the next like big leap yeah. of faith right yeah it's stability you're, now right right exactly and there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that i don't i i, I absolutely don't think dylan is adv- advocating against that but you know when you know, using my, my, my current employer as an example, you know, our, our group within the larger uh, corporation is a few hundred people. And I would say three quarters of them were remote. 
our remote. I mean, now it's a hundred percent, but in, in the, in the before times, it was about three quarters. Right. And when you get to that size, you do notice some degradation in that casual kind of like in the moment culture, you know, but you do also find alternative ways to conversate about off topic things like doctor who, right? Like we have like 500 Slack channels, right? You know, are, yeah, and two thirds of them are entirely sure. off topic, right? So you have you you kind of end up creating little clubs of sort. I think it's probably a good way to describe that, where you you know, oh look, there's a there's a homebrew category. Oh, there's a there's a car category, right? Like, okay, so I like beer and I like wrenching, right? Okay, right, there are probably like minded people there, right? And then you can you can kind of build those relationships that way, but. You know, to your point, there is no, you know, the Slack bot doesn't come by and says, hey, this random person really likes Doctor Who, you know, like the, that, that, that doesn't happen, right? It's, it's, it's the onus is on you, the individual, to make those introductions and make those connections, which for some people is hard. And I can, you know, I know nobody I work with listens to this podcast, so I can pretty openly say this. There are some days when I don't talk to any of my coworkers because they're not very digitally social people and it frustrates the hell out of me <laughs> but at the same time there are days when i just don't want to talk to people i don't i don't want to be i don't want to be bothered i can i can control oh, really couldn't have waited 10 minutes i know you? right so there are times when I don't want to talk to people. I don't want people to talk to me and I can kind of control that flow. Whereas in the office, I maybe not necessarily can do that. So, you know, there's, there's plus and minuses to both sets of interactions. And I think it really comes to, you know, come, we're going to come full circle. Now I think it really depends on the person, right? Like I would totally be fine with a, a, a safe job. And, you know, I'm in a lot of cases, I don't necessarily care too much about what I'm working on as long as it's interesting and you know compensation's fair like that's that's basically the extent of it for me so i think i don't think there's really there's there really isn't one right answer here and i think that's good right and that's the point right, right? it's like it's purely subjective that's that's my whole argument here is that you know just because we decided to go this route i'm not saying it's the correct route it's like saying you know python's the best language it's like no it's one of the tools in your tool belt it you know what I mean? Like you can get the job done with anything, but some some tools are better suited for different situations or different stages of your business. You're right. Like like right now we're you know after work we're gonna rent like these little blue bikes and just go freaking explore Boston, right? Like so Boston, Boston. So you know you miss some of that stuff, and you know I, I firmly believe that a lot of like really important relationships are formed through experiences, like shared experiences. Typically negative, if you actually look at the research on it. If you, if you share really, like if you almost died together, like you guys are tight, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, don't want that. So is here. that what you're saying? You're, you're every new employee, <laughs> you're going to almost die with them? Yeah, right. Um, but, but just having a shared experience together, right? Because the, the perspective of a relationship is through shared events, right? We talk about that day, we talked about microservices architecture. We talk about the time we had dinner, blah, 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 that one place and this crazy thing happened, right? That ties you together. And so it's harder, in my opinion, not that it can't be done again, uh, but but I do find that it can be harder um, to build that level of relationship. Again, when you're like hundreds, if not thousands of employees, it's different. 
my my pers- my my decision would be completely different because you're not having that with everybody. I'm sorry, it's just not how it works. But when when you're five people, you got to be tight. You know what I mean? Like you gotta you want to build that because it becomes the basis for your culture moving forward, and you're trying to retain that. And I'm sorry, but I've yet to see a a on average because I can't say this generally speaking. On average, it's hard to see a company go really massive and be fully remote. What's your definition it's rare. of real massive? 100 million plus. Okay. It's it's yeah. it's not it's the exception not the rule. If you think about it, right? If you look at companies, look at most unicorn companies. They're not remote. Now, do they have remote people? Of course they do. Of course they do. Um but they were started in a building. <laughs> yeah, no that makes sense. And I think yeah, like especially where, you know, current current arrangement you know we we've climbed you know to significant massive levels but yeah no they're, yeah you guys are in the stratosphere remote, like, right? you guys don't count <laughs> <laughs> but you know even the you know the the corporate overlord you know the overarching uh corporation um you know has office space a lot of office space very very specific office space um i think you know what i'm talking about yeah and, yeah for sure you know that's that was on purpose right like do you imagine it, it's 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 hard to imagine having all of this fancy office space and then still having remote people you sure. know like it's a weird yeah. dichotomy at times and it is it is a point of contention from time to time within the company because it it does stand out that you know in some scenarios remote employees are not purposefully but still inadvertently considered second class just because interesting see know, i would view it differently of, i feel like there would be more contentious uh situations from people who have to work in an office to those who don't and you would you would think that's the case but there are a lot of people at least a lot of people that i work with and maybe maybe again this is the exception a lot of people i work with within the larger company who do really like working in an office and they do like that that open floor plan you know like no <laughs> it if you can't tell i don't like open floor plans that's but, exactly what we have <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know that's literally like I'll, I'll, so people listening can't see but like we literally like that's james and then like, there's james we have this and then like and some it goes, empty desks it goes like around there and then like i'm in the conference room you know what i mean it's one like, two three four five six desks there if i'm counting right yeah we, we technically have eight we just we only set it up for six um because there's three plus we'll hire two more and then there's one extra set for but there's a difference between I, that like eight people in like the whole thing and an open floor plan that has, you know, the floor Thousands is 15,000 square feet and there's like 200 desks in that entire floor. Like, yeah, you know, like right, that's what I'm saying. You know, there's, there, you got to draw a line somewhere, but anyways, ultimately I think this comes down to, there is no, you know, if you're asking, if you ever find yourself asking, should I, should I move into an office? Should I stay remote? I think the the one line answer is it depends. Yeah, and yeah, right. you will have to really sit down and look at what what's most important to you. What do you need out of this arrangement? You know, is there an actual benefit to having that space? Be it a commercial office, retail storefront, warehouse, industrial, any of it. Right? Do you is there a net gain from getting that space? Right. Make your decision. <laughs> like yeah, like there's that. I right, mean, right. I think that's 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 really it. Like because. This is at the end of the day, this is just business, right? Like if there's you it's generally a wise idea to make any move that's a net benefit. Sure. Regardless of well, what it's, it is. Well, it's right? opportunity cost and it's managerial accounting, right? It, so yeah, you can say, Oh, well, this costs you more than going remote. Yes, but it also will 
costs us more staying remote because we can't find the engineers we need to rebuild a system that would have a three times increase in revenue, right? So, so it's hard to do that, right? And so a lot of people get stuck there when you need to actually lay out the oppor- opportunities at present, the options, and think through not just the first order. First order of thinking is too easy. This costs 80 grand a year, that does not. Great, what's the second order? If I spend that 80 grand a year, what does that do to the revenue because I did that? Maybe even third order thinking if you really wanna have fun with it, right? So if you can not just think from the first order, you know, what's the, the first immediate outcome of this decision and you can get to the second and third outcomes, everything, your, your decisions typically flip because, oh yeah, like I wouldn't do it if I only thought first order, but it, the fact that I'm thinking second order completely changes everything. And so you have to think through that way. So you have to be thinking second order minimum. And through that lens, you'll make smarter decisions. They're gonna be harder, but welcome to business. <laughs> like that's how this works. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> that's the, easy. that's the, um, the, the, the perennial tagline here, right? Like this is, you know, some of it is a bit kind of shocking and abrasive for some folks, right? Like there are some who can't even manage to have their own address that's not their home. Cough, cough, <laughs> Amazon sellers, yeah. I see you. Right, right. Um, I, I told Dylan before we started recording that we would briefly bring this up, and I'm briefly bringing this up now <laughs> before we end the show. Get it a goddamn P.O. box and shut up. Please. Dude, thank, thank you. you. Every so I posted I posted in our Facebook group and was like, you know, something we've been waiting on question mark and people are like, why would we wait on this? This is the worst thing ever, the worst policy. I'm like, why? And I was like, what are you like one, what are you afraid of? Because you can get a P.O. box and you're fine. Two, nobody's looking at your address like I'm gonna go kill that person. Like that's not what we're talking about here. And three, the people who are abusing Amazon FBA, those people now are having to become a little bit more transparent. Yeah, it's easier to and shut. It sucks, the, and they don't like it. Yeah, right. It's easier to shut the people down who are taking advantage of other sellers and the system as a as a large. If you're a legitimate operating business and you're not doing anything, shitty, bro, you're fine. Like nobody, like this is not for you. This is for the people who are literally drop shipping and doing stuff like that. TOS literally tells you not to do. God forbid they enforce their TOS. Like I'm sorry, but like that's a non-issue. And if, and if that's if that's the the type of thinking and that's that's the thing that you're spending that much time thinking about you're thinking too low level shift up have some higher level thoughts for a bit make some higher level decisions because you getting a p.o box versus not getting a p.o box is such a mundane task you just do it like why are you why are you having to think about that you just do it and move on what you should be thinking is like raising half a million dollars like that's more important than your freaking p.o box Check this out. I'll make this even easier for for those who still can't manage to figure it out. Like, so you can go to the post office and get yourself a small box for about one hundred and fifty dollars a year. Okay, yeah. that's like what twelve dollars a month, right? Yeah. Okay, fine. I waste. I literally waste more than that on like carbonated beverages. I don't end up drinking all of them, and then they go flat. Right. And I don't like them anymore. So. Okay, so now I, we've set a, a bit of a scale here for for how pedantic, yes. you know, arguing over a twelve dollar box is. And then we can even get easier than that, right? Okay, so you don't want to go to the post office. Nobody likes the post office. It's a dirty, grimy place, I understand. There are services that contract with other P.O. Box-type facilities that let you rent a box from there. And check this out, because this is 2020. It's a super cool thing. You can check your mail on the internet. Yeah. Oh, by the way. Blow 
your things mind. like Earth Class Mail, which is what you're talking about, existed when the four hour work week came out in 2007. So if you didn't know that these services existed, you don't read. Like, you Earth know what Class I mean? Mail. Earth Class Mail. I'm not even sure if they're specifically around, but like those services have been around. You literally have your mail shipped to them, they scan it. You tell them which ones, if, if something needs to be forwarded to you, they will do that. And then you just go, yep, good, 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 delete, bye. Yep. So Earth Class <laughs> Mail. All these links will be in the show notes. We'll yep. make this super easy for you. Okay. Lovely. Uh, anytime Mailbox. I use them. Nice. I literally pay $10 a month That's nothing. for the privilege. <laughs> and it shows up. I get a push notification. I get a text message. I get an email. I cannot miss any of it. And then I say, open it and scan it for me. Or just forward it, and then I pay the postage for forwarding, and that's it. So basically, you can treat your physical mailbox as an email inbox. So if you crush inbox zero, you can crush mailbox zero in the same freaking system. <laughs> uh, traveling mailbox? I've used them. Well, no, we'll make this easier. Decision fatigue exists. Just use Anytime Mail. I just went to their site. It's six ninety nine starting per month. Don't look at any others. Just go to that one, get it set up, and, and move on. And get back to actually growing your freaking business. AnytimeMailbox.com. <laughs> Heck, have your VA do that for you, honestly. Not a sponsor. It's a, perfect, it's a perfect task for a VA to do, though. You know what I mean? Like It's such a low-level thing. My mini rant about this is why I don't understand why people still use their personal address for anything these days at right. all. Like it's, That's a good point. To me... Like having, you know, when I, when I first started the business, like that's, that's how I got everything registered. And I immediately regretted it because I started getting mail. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The mail is the worst. Um, also tangentially related, uh, get like a Google voice number or some other, Mm -hmm. um, grasshopper. I don't know. Just anything, right. Any, any phone number that's not your phone. Right. Because the, the phone calls are even worse than the mail. I tell you what. (laughs) Yep. If uh, if you ever want to know how many different companies can offer you next day funding with weekly payments, oh my gosh, tons! Yeah, literally. <laughs> plug your tons. phone number into your business license Good and wait Lord. six months, and they will never go away. So learn this now while you still can. <laughs> Change your phone number. Uh, like these are these are simple things that uh, they don't cost a lot. Yeah, everybody needs to do. If you don't learn anything from us at all ever, but this one thing, thank you, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Goodbye. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the ending right there.